Our scripture lesson today is taken from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, reading the first seven verses. Revelation chapter 21, page 1424 in the Pew Bible. Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw, And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all these all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church concerning the Lord's Supper, that as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This joining together of the Lord's Supper with the idea of the coming or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is picked up upon in our formulary for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which uh, says that our celebration of the Lord's Supper, in part, is designed to renew in us the hope of His return. Partaking of the Lord's Supper, because we do it until He comes again, is designed to renew in us the hope of His return. And therefore, as we prepare today to come to the Lord's table, I want to focus your attention on a passage of Scripture that indeed speaks to us about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and what will happen at that time, that we might keep this hope ever before us and that our celebration of the Lord's Supper today might indeed renew in us the hope of his return. Now, John is writing his letter or his uh, revelation to a New Testament church that is anticipating great tribulation. Jesus had promised great tribulation in their lifetime before that generation should pass away. There would be a great tribulation. Jesus was referring, of course, to the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, the Jewish wars from A.D. 68 to 70 when the Roman army did great havoc in Judea and Jerusalem and destroying the city and the temple and killing over a million and a half Jews. It was a traumatic event, and the disciples knew that this was coming, and he's preparing them for this great trouble that is 
looming on the horizon, which has got everybody talking and upset. What's happening? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? And John, in part, deals with this by focusing their attention on the future, beyond the troubles, beyond the difficulties, beyond the tribulation, to that great day when God is going to make all things new. Jesus did the same sort of thing for himself. We read in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. When people have trials and tribulations to endure, it's, it's good to look beyond them to the joy that is coming, for that gives us strength. You and I live in hard times. We live in times of political chaos, racial tension, civil unrest, threatening pandemic, natural disasters, economic hardship, especially for those most needy. And worse than any one of these one items alone or all of them together is just the total uncertainty of where are we all headed? What's going to become of us? What kind of world are we, are we going to be in in the, in the years ahead? What kind of world will our children and grandchildren have to live in? And one of the, uh, the podcasts that I listen to has a sponsor, and the sponsor is a college, and that conservative college calls itself the last great hope for America. And I listened to that advertisement, the last great hope for America. What, what kind of situation are we in that we, we now think that we have only one last hope? You know, things are so dire that if, we, if this one hope fails, then all will fail, all will be lost. That's how people are viewing our current situation, particularly people in the church and people with a conservative outlook. The the future looks grim. How are we going to deal with that? Well, one of the ways that Scripture deals with that is said, stop looking at the troubles and look beyond the troubles. Look beyond the cross that you are called to bear to the joy that is set before you. And the text that is in front of us today does indeed describe our hope. What is the content of our hope? Well, the content of our hope is that uh, there's a new world coming. A new world in which God himself will come and live with us. John saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old earth and the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, when we uh, read a new heaven and a new earth, we need to remember that in the biblical worldview, there are three heavens. There is uh, the heaven that surrounds the earth, or, or the, the atmosphere that surrounds the earth, the heaven in which the birds fly. Then there is a second heaven where the sun and the moon and stars are. And then there's a third heaven where God dwells. You remember the Apostle Paul says, I know a man... Uh, who, whether in this body or out of the body, I know not, but he was taken up to the third heaven, and the third heaven is where God dwells. Well, this new heaven and new earth has to do with with our environment. It has to do with the extent of the curse. Wherever the curse has gone, the curse of God uh, upon mankind and upon creation because of sin. You know, God said, cursed is the earth because of you. He said to Adam, God has put a curse on the earth and on the the, uh, uh, surrounding atmosphere. And this heaven and earth is going to be made new. 
not new entirely uh, out of nothing. God created once out of nothing, but God shows his power, his great power that he can redeem this fallen humanity, this fallen race and this fallen world. He can make it new again. Uh, There's continuity between the old and the new, as we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Uh, his resurrection body was uh, made new. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, and Christ himself is the first of the new creation. But the new creation bore the scars of his uh, time on the cross. So there is continuity between the old and the new. Peter tells us in his epistle that uh, the earth will be cleansed, cleansed with fire. And uh, that's how we understand uh, this, the newness of the heaven and the earth, that the, the curse has been lifted because the curse has been born. It has been uh, endured by Christ, and he has taken it all in and satisfied the justice of God. And so now the curse can be lifted and the world renewed and made clean and whole again. It's going to be a beautiful world. Peter, uh, it says, uh, no more sea. And now in, in the scriptures, the oceans, uh, particularly the waves of the oceans that beat against each other and beat against the shore, are a metaphor for the nations, the unbelieving nations that fight among each other, beat against each other, and also assault uh, the land of the kingdom of God. And uh, that uh, metaphor is referred to here when it says no more sea because it means the, there will be no more unbelieving peoples and unbelieving nations fighting with each other or fighting against God's people. No more sea means a world of perfect peace, a, perf- a world of perfect uh, uh, calmness and, and joy with no threat anywhere. John says he saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The new Jerusalem is uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. Just as the earthly temple had a heavenly model, so the earthly city of Jerusalem had a heavenly model. And now the original Jerusalem, the, the true Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven where God lives. And uh, God uh, makes his home on the earth. Uh, When that city comes down, God comes with it and takes up residence here. For many uh, people, uh, the the Christian religion is a religion that teaches that when you die, you go to heaven. Uh, Well, that's, that's true. Your spirit, your disembodied spirit goes to be with God in heaven. But that's... That's not our hope. That's not our final hope. That's not the ultimate hope. That's not the the fullness of our salvation, just to escape the body and get out of here and and be a spirit floating upon the clouds in, in heaven. Our hope is a new earth where heaven comes down and fills the earth, where God takes up residence on the earth, where our bodies are redeemed from the grave and made whole and well again made incorruptible and imperishable, uh, like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the uh, Christian's ultimate hope. The city is described as a bride adorned for her husband. The church is the bride. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. Our relationship with God in the new heavens and the new earth will be one of intimate, close communion and fellowship, one of deep, abiding love of a relationship like a marriage, only so much better. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. 
it will be eternal bliss. And it will always get better. You know, the good things of this life all wear out. Little kids get Christmas toys or birthday toys, and some of them are broken before the day is over. And uh, grown-ups get uh, new cars and new houses and new tractors, but they wear out, they break down. Everything, the glory of everything fades. But not so heaven. God's glory is infinite, and it, we're finite, so we'll never be able to take it all in, but we will be able to appreciate it more and more throughout all eternity. You know, if you've lived long enough, you know the old saying, you know the truth of the saying, you can never go home again. It happens so often that... Uh, We have fond memories of past places or people, childhood haunts where we were happy and people we haven't seen in a long time. And and, and we often have that longing to go back and, and visit those places or see those people. And But it's never the same. People change. Places change. We've changed. Even if there has not been a lot of change, it's just not as good as it once was, as you thought it would be or the way you remember it. It's it's often very disappointing when you try to go back and capture some past moment of happiness. It's just not there anymore, and the the attempt to try to get it is, is frustrating. Some people call this blissful longing. Blissful longing, longing for lost health, longing for lost happiness, longing for lost places, longing for people who have been lost to us through death or some other means. Well, the Apostle John is telling us to stop looking backward in blissful longing. Instead, look forward. Your your blissful longing is indeed a, a longing for something that has been lost. We had perfection once. We had it in the Garden of Eden. And all our blissful longing really is a, a longing to, to recapture that, that, that perfect paradise that we had with God in the Garden of Eden through our first parents, Adam and Eve. There once was a time when the earth was perfect and, and human relationships were perfect and truly rewarding and fulfilling. But it has been lost, and we can't go back. But God is holding it out before us in the future. Looking to the past is a fruitless exercise, but looking to the future is not because the Christian hope is a living hope. You know, Peter in his epistle says, We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. We know that this new world coming is real because Christ has already been raised. The new creation has already been started. In our text it says, Behold, He makes all things new. And that make there is in the present tense, meaning it's already started. Some translations have he, he is making all things new. He has made Christ new from the dead. 
And through the new birth, you participate in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. He is making you new now, inwardly, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, every day being made more like Jesus Christ in His image, in true knowledge and righteousness and holiness, from one degree of glory to another. We are being conformed to Christ and and to the image of our Savior. The new creation has already started. And and so he says, this hope that we have, this hope of a new world coming, it's a living hope. It's a hope that's already alive. Now, it's very important for us to have this hope. You know, some people think that Christians uh, are so otherworldly minded, they're no worldly good. But the Scriptures teach that having this hope is good for this world. It's good for this life now to have this hope. It does great things for us. First of all, it, uh, it motivates sanctification. It motivates sanctification that is righteous living. You know, we, we all struggle against temptation. <laughs> the, the good that we want to do, we don't do. The evil that we don't do, that's what we do. And we say, oh, who will deliver us from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And how does Christ help us to, to, to say no to temptation and yes to, to righteous living? Well, by holding before us this, this great hope. John writes in his epistle, he who has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. It speaks there of a purity you already have, a purity with respect to the guilt of your sin, which has been washed away, but a purity also that that is in the process of being made, which is your sanctification. He who has this hope purifies himself. He who has this hope makes himself pure. Why is that? Well, because we're preparing to meet our bridegroom. When a young lady or any woman is about to get married, how does she prepare for that moment when she meets the groom at the front of the church? Well, she makes herself beautiful. She makes herself as beautiful as she can. And why does she do that? Does she do that because she's hoping to win his love? Is she hoping to do it to avoid his disdain? She does it because she knows that she is loved. She's assured of his love already. He's proven his love already. She does it because she loves him and she wants to please him. So she makes herself beautiful for him. And, and so you who know Jesus Christ, who, who love him, who are assured that he loves you because he has already died for you, when you know that you're going to meet him, when you're thinking about that and preparing for that day, you say, I want to make myself beautiful for him. I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. I want to live a life worthy of the gospel because I know he loves me and I love him. Having this hope gives us motivation for sanctification, for righteous living. Having this hope also gives us patience through hard times. Paul writes in Romans 8:25, we If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
We don't see this future yet. But if we're waiting for it, then we, we are made patient. You know, the, the mark of maturity is the ability to, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to postpone gratification. Little children uh, don't have maturity, and they, they find it very hard to postpone gratification. When they want something, they want it right now. It, it's so hard to wait. And one of the measures of your maturity is your ability to avoid impulse buying. You know, you see an ad for something, you say, i got to have it, and you, you run out and get it. Or you uh, look at the display by the cash register, and all of that stuff is designed to uh, promote the desire for instant gratification. And you see, oh, i got to have that. And you, well, your ability to walk by, past those displays and not, not even look at them, or if you do look at them, say... <laughs> I'm not going to fall for it. Your ability to postpone gratification is the mark of maturity. And one of the marks of faith is your ability to to wait, to wait for the Lord, to wait for the fullness of our salvation, to, to say that, Yes, now I have to endure trial and tribulation, but I'm willing to, to do that because I know what is coming. Patience and strength for trials. Again, Jesus, Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so we also, as we fix our eyes on the things that are above where Christ is, then we are uh, uh, given strength and patience to endure the trials and tribulations of, of this life. If you are eagerly looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, looking forward to the resurrection and eternal life, if you are looking forward to having God come and live on a renewed earth, then it should affect the way you live. It should promote righteous living. It should promote patience. It should give you strength for endurance. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we living with this hope? Is this your hope? And do you think about this and meditate upon it? And does it come to mind? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God in his righteousness? Or are you living to satisfy every whim and desire, indulging all the pleasures of the flesh? Are you seeking the things which are above where Christ is, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience? Or are you indulging the old nature, sexual immorality, impurity, passions of the flesh, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger and wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk coming from your mouth? Those are the things that are described in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Do people see you as someone who, whose hope is in God or someone whose hope is in the long weekend, in parties and a bigger truck, a newer tractor, another hundred acres? Where is your hope? Well, how can we live more in the light of this hope Well, by recognizing that Jesus is our hope. And that in order to have this hope, we need to drink deeply of the water of life that he offers. Our text says, I give 
I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the water of life? Or are you satisfied with the life that you have now? Are you satisfied with who you are and what you are and what you have and just want just a little bit more of it? Or do you recognize that you have fallen short, that you have sinned in thought and word and deed, that you have grieved God, the God who loved you and sent his son to die for you? Do you desire the water of life, that water that wells up into us, in us unto eternal life? Jesus spoke to the woman of the well and said, If you knew the gift of God and he who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask of him, and he would give you the living water. And whoever drinks of the water that I will give, says Jesus, will never thirst forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. That water of life is what Jesus gives to people who are thirsty. Thirsty for God, thirsty for renewal of their lives, recognizing that in me is a law of of death, sin and death that is dragging me down, pulling me down, leading me away from God, causing me to do the things that I hate. Oh, how I long to be free of that, to live a life that is pleasing to him. And come and drink deeply of that water. And drinking deeply of that water simply means believing in Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Trusting that His broken body and shed blood were were given for the forgiveness of your sins. So that the wrath of God would be turned away from you. It fell on Him in your place. He lived the life that you, des- you should have lived. He died the death that you deserved to die so that through Him you might be forgiven. Through Him you might be adopted into the family of God. Through Him you might be made heir. An heir of an inheritance. An inheritance laid up for you in heaven being kept for you of a new world. A new world made new in which the heavenly Jerusalem will come down and God himself will come down and live with us on the earth. That's the inheritance of you who drink deeply of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by believing in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and look forward in faith to that new world that's coming. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious hope that you have laid before us. We pray that we may drink deeply of the water of life by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by believing in his broken body and shed blood as our only hope and as the key through that opens to us the door into that new world that is coming. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word in song by singing together selection number 468, Jerusalem the Golden. Stand if you're able and sing all the stanzas of number 468.